We're doing okay this morning? I can't see you. You'll come join me. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> we, uh, man, we're so glad you're here this morning. Happy 4th of July, and uh, welcome to uh, worship with us this morning. And uh, uh, we, uh, we've been studying through the book of, well, the book, we've been studying through a couple of 1st uh, and 2nd Samuel, we've been studying about the life of David, um, and Man, what a what a guy! What a what a guy who went through a whole lot of things and uh, made some mistakes and got to be a part of some amazing things that God wanted to do. Um, and and we're just consistently reminded uh, that He is so much like us uh, in the fact that He's a sinner and He needs Jesus. And uh, we see that uh, uh, through even the, the story that we've been studying on last week and today. And I promised a two-parter and uh, promised we would uh, try to you know, bring some conclusion, if you will, to uh, what uh, is uh, going on with uh, David's life. Uh, and uh, with David's life and just kind of seeing uh, this, this whole thing happening, this thing's being weird, isn't it? It just, it just is what it is. Thank you. Um, but uh, as we see, uh, let's see if we can switch here. He's not ready for that, probably. Um, you let me know when you're ready for that. There we go. I hear it. I'm taking this one off. Forget you. All right. Uh, but uh, no, we see we see David uh, make some incredible mistakes. Uh, and then there's the aftermath, you know, as there always is when we make mistakes, there's an aftermath. And so last week when we left, I said, you know, next week we're going to talk about what it looks like to deal with the aftermath. And so uh, that's what we're studying today. And if you're just tuning in with us, I'll kind of give you a, a little bit of uh, background here. In fact, let's do this. If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and get it out and go to Second Samuel. If you don't have a Bible, let our ushers bring you one. Just throw your hand up. Let them know you need one. If you, if you don't own one, you can keep that one. We would love for you to have it considered a gift. Uh, but uh, go to Second Samuel um, and... In 2 Samuel, uh, last week we studied uh, chapter 11, and in chapter 11, we, we study through this story that is, is so famous to those of us that uh, grew up in church, and it's this story of a guy named David uh, who has become the king, and we've already been studying David's life quite a bit, and we've seen him go through a lot of things, but then as he's gone through a bunch of these things, uh, you know, to get to where he is, and now he's in power, so to speak. Uh, we have uh, David now in situations where he's going to make, going to have opportunity that he didn't have before to do things that he wouldn't have done before, and we have one of those things happen. He sees a beautiful woman. She's married to another man. He sends for her, he wants her, he wants to sleep with her, he does, she becomes pregnant, then the husband is off at war, fighting for him, fighting for David, and, and he sends for him to come back, tries to trick him into sleeping with his wife so that he will think that it's his, and I mean, it's just like, you know, a big episode of Maury, you know, at the, at the end of the whole thing, you know. And uh, except he kills him. He has the husband killed, Uriah the Hittite. He has Uriah killed. 
world. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. I mean, when you think about it. I mean, we think about like, you know, those moments in life where we make these mistakes and they loom over us and they uh, catch us and we have to deal with the destruction that that sin created in our lives in so many different ways. And, and here David is no different. And in fact, we're, we're just going to read through. In fact, let's check this out together. Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 1. And I want us to, to read through this. And this is literally the next... The next piece of scripture as we have followed through the story of of all of this that has happened with David uh, that I just talked about and then here we are and it says in verse one it says and the Lord sent Nathan to David and the Lord sent Nathan to David now I don't know if you have ever felt like the Lord has sent somebody to you specifically or not but he he has. I can guarantee you somewhere along the way, he has. Now, not often do we always know that specifically in those moments is, you know, that person coming from the Lord, like God has sent them in that moment and so on and so forth. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we've got going on here. And, and in fact, it's so much so that like it's specific to us for us to know that the writer knew it so clearly. And it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan comes as a prophet. Nathan comes as a prophet. And so he comes to David, and it says he came to him and said to him, and, he, and he's, he's about to explain this story. And I want you to follow the story because he's using this story to explain some things to David and help David to see some things about himself. It says, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, and you remember me talking about that usually as a sign of, of great wealth, as if you have flocks and herds and all that good stuff. Uh, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. Talking about the guy with all the flocks and herds, he basically doesn't want to take even one of his own animals to eat for a feast with, for this person who has come to stay, which is, you know, was commonplace at that, at that time. It says, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. So Nathan tells David this story, and in telling David this story, you know, the, the, the premise of this story isn't just for him uh, to get him going, which he does, uh, or to uh, help him, uh, give him an opportunity to exercise his judicial rights as the king, because as the king, uh, he would have had the greatest judicial rights of anyone uh, there of all the people. And in this moment, Nathan uses that. He uses that knowledge, using that with the king to say, I'm going to share to you a story. And as far as David knows, this is a real thing. And so much so that David gets fired up. 
David's like fired up about this, and he's like, oh man, well, first of all, this dude needs to die, he needs to repay this thing fourfold, I can't believe he's done this, can't believe he didn't have any pity. Then comes verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now let me get this clear, he's not saying, you the man, <laughs> right? He's saying, no, no. You are that man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord. Remember? Remember where Nathan came from? The Lord sent Nathan. Verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in His sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you and your house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie down with your wives in the sight of the son, of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Whoa. That's a lot. So here... David is being confronted with his sin. I don't know if you have ever been in the moment of someone being confronted with their sin. Sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it goes really bad. And I've been a part of many of those things. And I've, and I've had friends of mine, people, family, close to me, whoever, that know that I've invited them into my life to confront me with sin in my life when I have sin in my life. And we need that. We need that. We need Nathans in our lives who will confront our sin as God speaks to their heart. Not in some, you know, you know playful, you know, just, you know, kind of messing with us. No, but I'm talking about like for real, like, hey, you're not trusting the Lord. I love you, but you're hurting yourself and your family. That's what Nathan's doing here. Nathan comes, and I mean, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious on top of the fact that we have it in Scripture telling us that the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, on top of that, we see him basically giving this decree to David from the Lord. Because he, if you read these words, they're not the words of Nathan. They're the words of the Lord coming through Nathan. And Nathan's saying, uh, i got a message for you. Here we go. Hold on tight. You the man. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in His sight? 
one of the things I find interesting about the passage is that the Lord sent Nathan. If you go back and you study all through chapter 11, and we talked a little bit about this last week. I spent a couple of minutes on it where I talked about how if you look in the passage, you see David sending, you know, sending, sending, sending. Used to, David, David was hands-on, and he'd go do it himself. You know, he sees the pretty lady, he sends somebody to find out who she is. Then he sends somebody to go get her. Then he sends multiple people to go get her. Then they go get her. You know, I mean, and it's, and it's all this, you know, sending, sending. In fact, not just even David, but other people throughout the story. You see, uh, you see your, your, your boy Joab out at war, who's on David's behalf, going to make sure that Uriah gets killed in battle by throwing him on the front line. You know, you, and, and, and so he's sending, he's sending Uriah out. And then he's sending the guy back, the messenger back, to tell David of what's happened. And there's, you know, a continuing of this sending, sending, sending. And it's kind of like that the Lord is watching all of this, and I love this, and then it comes to a moment where he says, it's my turn. I'm going to send someone now. And he sends Nathan. And Nathan comes with such authority. Such authority. I mean, just, I mean, you know, the fact that he, I mean, he tells this story instead of just coming out and saying, hey, you did this. Because he does do that, but he doesn't do that at first. And he says, you did this through telling of a story to get to get David's juices going, this is, this is this showing to David that, you know, how you lead is not how you're living kind of a thing. And nobody wants to do that because that makes us a what? Hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. But the truth is, is that at some point we all will struggle with being a hypocrite. We may not mean to. We end up doing something we say we would never do. Oh, I'll never do that. Let me tell you what I told, I, I told the Lord I would never do. I told the Lord I would never be a preacher. Here we are. I don't know if that's a curse or what, but you're stuck with it. Uh, you know, and, and, and this, this idea that God is watching these things happen, and then now he's getting involved. And he sends Nathan in this moment. And he has Nathan confront David. And, and, and he does tell the story. And you go, well, you know, he, he, ought to be, he, ought to, he ought to just go in there and just say it for what it is. Well, I mean, this is what the Lord led him to do. Let me get put in one of these situations where the Lord tells you to speak to somebody about something that's a really hard situation. Okay? And you see, if you just come right out of the gate with it. Maybe the Lord's telling you and leading you in that moment. You know what? You need to comfort them, remind them of your love for them, that you care for them, those types of things, before you have to share the hard truth. I, you never know. Either way, he does share the hard truth. And suddenly, the light has been shown onto David's sin. And no longer is it this thing that's a secret. You know, Now there's someone who's found him out. And more importantly, David's aware that the Lord knows, as if he didn't know. And David is there, bare, naked and afraid. And before all Israel and the Son even, it says, 
He will allow this to happen to some of His wives out in the open. And this does happen later in Scripture. These things happen. These things happen. He's, it talks about he's, he's going to lose the child that Bathsheba is pregnant with from this whole thing. And in fact, if you read the rest of chapter 12, you will read through exactly what happens as we see them lose the child. And let me tell you what, that's, that's horrible, right? Like we hear that, we hear like that there's going to be the loss of a child, there's going to be the loss of a baby. And to us, I mean, we just, I mean that just seems like the most horrible thing. We're like, well, how can God be a loving God and, and, and take that child away? Well, here's... Here's where, I, here's where my head's at with that. My head is here. It is that he's bringing that child back to himself. Maybe saving that child from whatever that situation really looks like in real life. Because to us, we see here and now. God doesn't just see here and now. God, ju- God doesn't just see you know, that this thing happened right here and now. You know, many of you have struggled. Many, many, many women, many ladies in our church have struggled, lost children along the way. May you be comforted in knowing the things that Jesus has said and letting all of those, let, let all of those little children come to me. If you think for a second that our God would be sending those babies to hell, no stinking way. They're better off than we are right now. He loves them. I believe that with all my heart. And I think the Scriptures lead us to that understanding. This goes on. And again, David has now the opportunity to respond. So how does David respond? Does he respond with uh, denial? I've been in some of those situations. Those usually don't go good. Because usually if we're at that situation of having the conversation, there's some proof, there's some things that, you know, and then you share that, you go, man, just, just, it's here, it's here, you know. David doesn't do that. Verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And David, I'm, I'm sorry, and Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. We'll come back to that. Verse 14, Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And you read later in the chapter where he dies. This is a crazy situation. David has caused the Lord great anguish over his sin. You, you, know, that, you know that the Lord grieves over our sin. You know that? Have you ever met a parent whose child has gone away. Now, when I say gone away, I'm, I'm talking about like they've quote-unquote maybe even, so, so to speak, left the family. They're living a life that that parent doesn't even know where they are, that they don't know if they'll be a, alive 
tomorrow, you know, because of maybe the decisions they're making in life and that kind of thing. I mean, that's the kind of grieving, that, the kind of grieving that a parent does for a child here and now over the bad choices that they might make it is no different than the grieving in which God does for us in our sin. God's not, not up there, you know, marking, marking stuff on a wall and all this kind of stuff that we've made up with the cartoon gods in our heads and all that kind of stuff. That's just not, that's not who God is. He loves us. He cares for us. He sends Nathan after David to remind him and kind of kind of shake him for a minute. Because, you know, to be to have just been left to that sin, to have gone for that sin to have gone um, you know, just continued in the secret, you know, David would continue thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm getting away with this. You ever feel that way about your sin? Oh, I'm getting away with this. It's not really hurting anybody. I just keep doing this. It's not really bothering anybody. I keep doing this. And, you know, I'm getting away with it. It's not, it's not causing anything. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's hurting us. Every. Sin. And it's and it's so it's so easy for us to read a story like David and Bathsheba, and we're like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I've never I've never done anything like David did. I mean, you know, so I mean, I'm a better guy than David is, you know. And, and I, I mentioned that last week that that's that that's an idol for us in which we put ourselves in being God, where we start we start comparing ourselves and 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 uh, uh, trying to figure out where we are with the Lord and how good our walk is with Christ based upon if we're better than other people around us. We can't do that. We're all still sinners. We all still need Jesus. Even the smallest of sin grieves the heart of God because He loves us and He cares for us. And we talked about this last week because sin causes destruction. And a loving parent doesn't want to see their child destroyed or any part of their life destroyed. That's why He's a jealous God. That's why He doesn't want us to make idols out of other things. And here, David's response is, I have sinned against the Lord. That's a good response. That's a good response. No, no excuses. No, well, on that day, I was just, you know, I had a lot on me. You know, oh, just, you know, the weight of all the things that I'm doing as the king now, after all the things that we've been through and I've been so faithful to the Lord and there she was. None of that. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. You shall not die. The rich man's lamb. The rich man took the poor man's lamb. And when the rich man took the poor man's lamb, Nathan was helping David, without him even realizing it at first, to see that that was just as he took Uriah's wife Bathsheba. 
He got him all jacked up for justice. We love some justice, don't we? But we're reminded, we're reminded through this that we too as believers at times commit horrible sin in our lives. But sin brings consequences and it causes destruction. I think for so many folks, we are guilty, I'll say we are guilty, of in these moments taking, um, taking the sins of life and, and, and you know, putting, putting them in categories. You know, we've got real bad sins, and then we've got not so bad sins, and then we've got the, the little sins that don't really matter so much. You know, and again, I think for us to be reminded that what God has done for us in sending Jesus to die for us was that he died for all sin. But, but Paul's very clear about this in Scripture, that it's not like a license for us just to go on sinning. Because again, sin hurts us, and God loves us, and he's called us to be something different in this world. I don't know where you are in this world today. But wherever you are, guess what? God put you there. He's got you there for a reason. He's got you where you are for a reason that you would be light into this world. We talked a few weeks back about caring for people. I truly believe that part of Nathan's job in going to do this wasn't just to bring David to his knees about his sin, but it was also to shake him just a little bit, to remind him of the call and of who he is and of who God is in his life. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes, sometimes a preacher needs that. Needs to be reminded that, that you know, systems is not it. You know, we, our lives can't be about systems as a minister of the gospel, and I'd say that for anybody, whether you're a preacher or not. You know, our, our lives can't be about systems. Our lives have got to be about people, loving people, caring for people. How is David supposed to do that if his life is, is just this big ball of this sin that is going on and it's not being addressed by him or by anyone else? Praise God that Nathan listened to the Lord that day. I want to share with you a psalm. I want to share with you a psalm, and it's Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is, it is a response from David over this whole event. You say, Chris, how do you know that? Because at the beginning of Psalm 51, it says this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That's how we know this is a response. We know that David penned this. We know that this is a response to the Lord on David's behalf where he has also written this as a song, okay? Just like what we just we were singing worship songs to David. This is him singing a song, and he's inviting others to come and sing this song with him. Imagine, can you imagine that? Like I'm writing a song about the girl that I hooked up with and killing this guy and all this stuff, and that the Lord spared my life. That's the song. That's a top 40 on Christian radio right there. I want you to read it with me. 
It is, by and large, maybe my favorite psalm of all time. And without a doubt, my most quoted. And I literally pray some of the words of this psalm every week of my life. Here we go. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, he's saying I was a sinner from birth. It's not, it's not how I was brought up. It's kind of what he's saying there. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have Broken, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your, on your altar. This song that David writes is the outpouring of his heart after breaking God's heart. And I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life today, but you do. You know what? You know who else does? Nathan does. He's coming right now to confront you. I'm kidding. Or Nathan's on vacation. He's confronting fish somewhere, I'm sure. And good for him. Um, the Lord does. The Lord knows what's going on in your heart. The Lord knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're struggling with. Whether it's some secret sin, some outward struggle, whether it's something of the heart, which generally it's always from the heart. But if you look at that in verse 10, 
what, is, what does he ask the Lord for in this? He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's all over the place in here saying, Make me whiter than snow. Cleanse my sin. Take all the bad away from me. Do all those things. Yes, yes, yes. But then, then David puts it all on the line. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I want my heart to look like yours. I need you to come in here and clean me up. I am a mess. And that's us. We consistently need God to do that in our lives. God's He's forgiven us. He's forgiven us. In fact, I read just a little bit of, a, of another psalm. Psalm 103, verse 10. Just a couple of verses here. It says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far, watch this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. That's where our sin is. He's taken our sin and He has thrown it as far as the east is from the west. The greatest sin of your life, the greatest failure of your life, where you maybe hurt so many people. David hurt a bunch of people. Literally, people died. Not even just Uriah. Because the other dude, Joab's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and send some extra dudes in so it doesn't look like I just picked him out of the bunch. And so a bunch of soldiers end up dying. All because what? Because David couldn't control himself and ends up breaking like half the Ten Commandments in one moment over a pretty girl. And the Lord has for us that our sin, all of those mistakes we've ever made, have been thrown as far as the east is to the west. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He cares for us. He's a loving Father who cares more than we could ever imagine. And salvation from Him is a gift It's not something earned. We can't be good enough. You get that, right? We can't be good enough. We needed somebody else to do that because we're sinners. And sin, sin has a penalty. That penalty is death. And so God sent His only Son that He would die that He would die, that we might be forgiven. There are so many parallels in this story to the things that we see. The Lamb that was taken. The Lamb that was slain. For someone came into town. Who killed the Lamb? The rich man. Who killed Jesus? We did. David would lose a son. David would lose the child in which would be born to Bathsheba and he. He would die. 
Look at the parallels of that. God would send His only Son to die. And you think to yourself, man, Chris, you don't, you don't understand. My life is a mess because of the decisions I've made. Hmm, okay. Let me tell you what's a mess. A guy who has cheated on a man's wife and to clean the whole thing up had him his wife uh, his hus- or her, her husband and a bunch of his soldiers who were his guys end up getting killed and then you got to live with that aftermath and then you marry her and now you've got a child and then that child dies and then there's more to come and you think we well, you know that's I mean that's as big of a mess as I can think of I can't think of a bigger mess than that God couldn't redeem that you know what God would do God would allow them after they were married to bear another son. And we sing these songs that talks about the root of David being our Savior. You know what family tree Jesus comes from? That one. Don't tell me that God can't take the most awful situation and redeem it, not just for them, but literally the whole world. And everyone that would ever believe in Him, that they would not perish, but have everlasting life. What did, what did He say to David? He said, you shall not die. You shall not die. Why? Because Jesus would. And he wouldn't have to. And this brings us to the miracle of grace. And what a costly miracle it is. It came with a price. Sin comes with a price. David will still have to answer to sin in his life. God will take this situation and use it for his glory. And at the same time, David is still going to have to deal with certain aspects of the sin that he, that he committed. But you know what? David's being called to move on. Maybe, maybe you need to hear those words today. That, that it's okay for you to move forward past the decisions maybe that you made in the past that were not great decisions. I'm here to tell you today that God's grace is good enough for them all. For them all. You are no longer a slave to your sin. And you are no longer a slave to your mistakes. The miracle of grace came with the price of Jesus dying on the cross. Your mess up isn't bigger than God's grace. I think that the weight of what we see happen with God sending Jesus to forgive sin is a greater freedom that's ever happened in this world. Let me say this and we're going to close. The freedom that we have as Americans is amazing. Are there a lot of things going on in our country? Absolutely. Should we be praying for our country? Absolutely. And I think back to those guys that got away and, you know, rebelled against and basically were breaking the law <laughs> to do this crazy thing and, and give us 
Declaration of Independence, Constitution, all, the, all these things. All the stuff that would happen historically for our country to be where we are. And literally they would pin this and then freedom would come. And I think how amazing that is. But think about how amazing this is. That all sin in one moment was forgiven through one man giving his life on a cross and rising again three days later from a grave. In that one moment, all who would believe would find their day of independence from sin. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so the question for you today, Christian, first, Christian, what sin do you need to lay at the feet of the cross? What sin are you still holding on to? What sin are you still beating yourself up on? Maybe other people are still beating you up on it too. Let's just be fair, okay? And so that doesn't make it easy, but, but we got to talk about you and the Lord and you coming to grips with the fact that the Lord sent His Son to die, that you no longer would be a slave to that. What sin do you need to lay at the foot of the cross? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You've never been a Christian. You've never believed in Jesus. And maybe today is the day of your independence from sin. I want you to know, God loves you. He cares for you. And He sent Jesus to die for you as much as He did for me or anybody else that's sitting in this room. Just believe. Believe in Jesus. You say, well, I don't understand everything. That's okay. The rest will come. Put your trust in Jesus today and believe. And the miracle of grace will be yours. Let's pray. God, we thank You for second chances. We thank You for what You've done for us. And Lord, just helping us in these moments of life when we don't know what to do to be reminded that we can come to You and that Lord, You clean up all things. You take care of us in all situations. Lord, You give us grace for all sin. God, we don't deserve it. We know we don't deserve it. But Lord, You give it because You love us. God, help us, Lord, to follow You. Help us to be the people that You've called us to be, to be light in this world, to love others, to care for others. God, that You would rekindle the ministry that You have called us to in our hearts, Lord, through the, the confession of sin in our life. God, I pray, Lord, that we would confess right now the sin that we struggle with in our hearts to You. And God, if You might lead us if we need to confess it to someone else, God, I pray that we would, You would put those people in front of us that we need to share that with, that they would pray for us, that they would hold us up, that they would call us out like a Nathan. God, thank You for what You've done for us. God, thank You for saving me, a sinner, not deserving of Your unbelievable miracle of grace. God, be glorified in us as we go. In your name we pray.